So hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the SaaS Sessions podcast. Uh, we have Kevin White on the show today. Kevin currently heads marketing at Retool. Uh, Retool is the fastest way to build internal tools. Like you can use the drag and drop building blocks and connect them to your database and APIs to build your own tools in instantly. And it's part of the whole no code revolution that's that's been going on. Previously, he was heading growth at Segment, uh, which is one of the leading customer data platform. I don't, I don't need to introduce Segment uh, yeah, here. So, Kevin, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, it's great. It's great to uh, be on the show. And thanks so much for the, the introduction. I'm happy to share uh, many things and be an open book for the audience here. So really excited. To yeah, definitely. Yeah. So today we, uh, for the audience, like we, uh, like me and Kevin, we are going to talk about like, you know, uh, many companies hit growth plateau, right? Uh, at, at some point. Uh, in their in their life cycle, right? And not one once, but multiple times, right? Can happen for any company. Even if you are a fastest growing, hyper growth stage company, it can you can still hit hit growth plateau on some channels or uh, like you know which which stops your revenue and it's like plateauing. It's not growing. So we're gonna talk talk on that in in this episode. But before we do that, let let's get to know more about Kevin and and Retool. So Kevin, can you tell us more about yourself and then a little more on what Retool is? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've been uh, doing this kind of like growth marketing and marketing stuff um, for the last 10 years, at least in terms of uh, you know SaaS, uh, working at SaaS companies. Um, so started off... Uh, a very like junior, uh, junior role was just kind of like thrown in. And at the time, the company I worked for was this company called Giga. And they're like, we bought this tool called Marketo, um, figure out how to make it work. So I was kind of like thrown into the fire. And back then there was not so many like great resources, like podcasts and, and, uh, lots yeah. of uh, things written. So, um, yeah, I just kind of like learned <laughs> a lot by experience and built teams and built companies. And, uh, yeah, I was most recently at segment, um, for, about three years and built out the team there and grew like crazy there. Um, and, and segment's a great company. And now I've joined retool yeah. and, uh, to, to lead marketing, which is, you know, kind of scary. It's like, um, I'm more on the demand gen side of things. So it's, it's, uh, uh-huh. the PR and the brand and that kind of stuff is uh, <laughs> like, not like it's new to me, but it's, it's, uh, it's something that I'll definitely have to learn and pull in the right people and tap into the right, people who I've made connections with over the years. So I'm really excited for that. Really excited for retool. We use segment yeah. at retool. So I'm, I've been uh, <laughs> nice. in segment um, configuring things the way I want. So it's, it's really, uh, I'm really lucky to and fortunate to be in my situation. So. Yeah. yeah, being in the same ecosystem, right? And I think uh, I did see uh, Retool stack, uh, technology stack, and they I, I did see that they use segment. So I think they were, that's how you got to know retool? Uh so yeah, I, I think I was introduced to our CEO, David, a while ago, like, um, and then also a person who leads growth on the team, her name is Jane. I met her at a, at a, some networking like meetup thing. So I've been in touch with them for quite a long time and the people at Segment definitely speak highly of Retool and um, yeah, I just kind of uh, saw the opportunity. Nice. I was like, oh, this is a great company. <laughs> and I decided to make, make, a, make a leap for it. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. 
<laughs> that's really interesting so yeah can you tell us more on like this this three tool and like how is it different like just as i was seeing as well uh, it's not like the other no code platforms uh, out there i think it's it's a bit different so maybe you can tell us yeah, more on that not, it's not quite like the airbases and the bubble kind of tools out there uh, uh-huh. platforms out there um it's more more built for uh developer engineering type of audience. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, the, the, what it gets at is, you know, every company has their own internal tools, whether they're using uh, Excel spreadsheets or whether they're building something custom from scratch. And um, these Got tools it. do not get too much, uh, too much attention um, or um, they're maybe not the highest priorities for engineers to build. So right. um, what's really great about Retool is like you can connect um, to your data sources like, a DynamoDB or S3 or um, GraphQL like or the APIs like GraphQL, um, and then just we make it really easy to do like a drag and drop UI builder, so you don't have to fuss with all the like searching for React components and all the stuff that you know a backend developer doesn't really want to be messing with. So it just really cuts the time yeah. uh, to build an internal tool, and you don't have to uh, also worry about people um, changing things in a spreadsheet and a Google Sheet. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's a really cool use case yeah. and something that um, I wasn't super familiar with before joining, but I really see the value mm-hmm. right now. It's cool. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely it's, it's, it's something that I see, which is like completely uh, like different as well. I, I think it's not entirely no code. It's like a low code uh, way to like, you know, drag and drop way you can, but highly customizable as well, yeah. where you can yeah, use the existing... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a little good and it takes out the tedious things of uh, coding. Exactly, that yeah. <laughs> taking a lot of time to work on. So Definitely. Yeah, but it's great to I be don't part think of that it, Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think any tool is no code, right? Like even if the user is not coding, but at the end there's some code which is applied, right? So if you see, <laughs> like I don't believe that any tool is actually no code tool, right? It's just that at the end user does not have to code anything. Maybe that's why it's all, all like called up as no code uh like platform or no code tool, but in the in the end in the back end, like if you see, uh, if you where the magic happens, that happens via code itself, right? So someone has to code, not the end user, but someone in the end has to code. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and like the evolution of all of the no code things is just like kind of like all these abstraction layers that keep on yeah. building on themselves, and that's kind of like now where we're at. It's like yeah, you know, now you can yeah. kind of do things with the UI, and if you have your API credentials and plug them into this UI, then it kind of, yeah. it kind of, works. um, and there's definitely a lot of code on the back end that, 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 <laughs> that the happens. And then people are building yeah. that happening. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw this recent uh, trend on Twitter about GPT three. Uh, I mean, that's, that's really amazing. I mean, if you, if, anyone doesn't know what gpt3 is i also don't know a lot but i just saw it trending on twitter so you just type what you want and then then this platform or this this technology it kind of builds the code as you type so you type in in a way that you know hey you want you want a website and you want a blog uh, with the search bar and with two buttons and there should be like uh, some space between them and those buttons should be gray in color and they should have like a shadow or something and you type that and this technology kind of you know converts whatever you type into uh like like a code and then it kind of actually builds the code and gives you the output i mean <laughs> i mean that's that's yeah. really something which is trending i mean you you should definitely check it out it's really yeah. interesting it's crazy to see how many advances we've made in terms of 
we like I say we like I've been part of it. I have no idea how this stuff works, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but just like with the the NLP and with machine learning and all that stuff is you know it's really come a long way. It's it's cool to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, talking like you know coming back to the growth side of things where <laughs> you know where where we can talk we and we both are oh. like you know we play in. <laughs> uh, so yeah, talking about growth plateau, right? Like. Uh, let's let's start off by understanding like what's a growth plateau i mean what happens in the growth plateau and yeah. what is it yeah, I, really i think the way that i like to to see it or envision it is like i i know that there's all these like success stories out there of like oh this company um like slack for instance had like this hockey stick growth and it's just like up into the right exponential growth and mm-hmm. if you like zoom in on that type of growth a little bit you'll see that it looks actually more like an s curve um and that's just uh-huh. because um with natural or with with growth like that um you eventually tap out the um the channel or the um way that you're growing and then that kind of results in a tab uh, uh a tablet like a, fl- a flattening out uh, yeah, of, yeah. of the curve mm-hmm. and uh and then, and then it's kind of up to the people in the org or the startup to, to figure out like how to continue growing. So, you know, at some points you'll see this kind of like flattening of growth and you have to figure out new things to do to grow the company. So, um, you know, that's kind of how I like to think of it is like a lot of people imagine like, you know, you just have this exponential growth, but in reality, there's a lot of things going on um, within an organization where you have to really figure out how to continue growing because sometimes your channels are mechanisms for growth um, stall out a bit. So, yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely want to hit growth plateau on this current pandemic, but not your company. <laughs> um, yeah. And talking about like, uh, like how do you, how does like a company end up in a growth plateau, right? Like, because teams or growth teams or marketing teams, everyone is trying to grow the grow their channels or their part of things constantly, right? Like everyone is working towards it. You're hiring new people. You're doing like a bunch of new activities. But but you end up like there are many companies like who end up sometime not not for a long time, maybe one quarter, two quarters, something like that. But you still end up being in a, uh, like you still plateau it out. So uh, like what? How do you? How do a comp- How does a company like end up in this in this kind of plateau? And, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of ways you'll hit growth plateaus, and I've certainly um, experienced hitting a, a good amount of growth plateaus <laughs> in, in my day. So, um, you know, I, I think at first, especially like starting out, um, uh, you might have a uh, you know you might be reaching an audience that hasn't like crossed the the chasm yet, or you haven't crossed the chasm yet with your audience, where it's like your your when you're starting out, like the people who are uh, adopting your products are very much in like the early experimentation kind of like innovator stage. And, um, you know, maybe you exhaust that audience where it's like you, there's only so many people who are going to tinker and put up with bugs and things like that. And then you need to polish your product. And that's when you need to like kind of move upstream, um, to like the earlier adopters and not the innovators like stage of that, like crossing the chasm. Um, got it, got it. So th- there's kind of things like that where, you know, um, or where you, you, your audience is kind of tapped out and you need to like reach a new audience and find product market fit within a different audience. Um, there's also things like, you know, maybe your, your initial acquisition strategy or your growth strategy was, 
um, around paid acquisition and your paid acqu- acquisition channels are no longer, you know, um, efficient anymore and you need to figure out other mechanisms for growth. So it kind of, it varies all across the board, but eventually plateaus are hit and you can only scale so much. Um, and when you get to a really big size, it's hard to keep doubling. So, um, yeah, but yeah, happy to elaborate more on things or, or to continue, um, you know, drilling in on this, this interesting topic. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, like my next, my next thing would be like, you know, how do you uh, see the indicators, right? Like, as you said, uh, as you rightly said, like it can be on diff- broad, it can be multiple channels, it can be one channel. So it's really happening like all over the place. Right. And, and data is constantly moving, right. You guys are like capturing data on like hundred different sources and through multiple channels. So it's really hard to like identify which channel is gonna maybe hit, uh, hit a plateau. Right. So what are some of the, uh, like what, what can I say? Like indicators that you can spot on, right? Like, uh, uh, particular to let's say one or two channels and which very, where you can see if these indicators are happening, that means you're going to hit a plateau. So what are like good indicators, uh, that you can identify and, uh, and you can stop this, uh, this kind of hitting this plateau and maybe, you know, pull change the levers very early as to change this, maybe changing it like three or four weeks later while you're already on a plateau. So how do you identify these uh, yeah, indicators? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to like the fundamentals of understanding how your your funnel or like your growth loops, uh, to use like a Brian Balfour kind of t- kind of a term, is how how the mechanics of these things yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, if you have a good grasp of like, okay, you know, maybe my early indicator is site traffic and. Um, I know that like mm-hmm. my site traffic, like my mechanism for growth is maybe like organic search. And, you know, we hit on all of the, hit on all of the high intent keywords, um, or maybe, maybe there's just like not that much search intent anymore. And you're getting into like more abstracted things like, um, higher up in the awareness phase. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're maybe keep, keep, uh, increasing traffic at the same rate, but that traffic doesn't have the same intent to purchase your product. Right. So, yeah. Uh, if you have, I mean, these are kind of like, that's one example of an early indicator, but the way that that would manifest itself is like looking at your data. So you would be able to see at a pretty early stage in this, in, in this scenario where, you know, we got all this traffic, but that traffic didn't make its way down the funnel like we expected. So therefore, yeah, like, this is kind of a risk. Like maybe we should in, start looking at other channels because SEO, um, lower intent SEO is not really working. Um, so, so these are all kind of like, this is kind of like a way to identify these kind of like early indicator risk factors to your yeah. growth. I, I think to, I could think of two different things, right? One is like, uh, like plateau affecting like multiple, uh, levels in the funnel, right? You're getting those traffic, but, uh, you're getting those form fills, but eventually they are not converting. So maybe the traffic that you're attracting is not good. So that like it, it happens across funnels, right? The, the one way to identify and that what makes it hard to identify as well, because I, by the time you end up on the third or fourth stage, uh, you're already like, you know, done like multiple experiments at the first stage or, or top of the funnel and which kind of like, you know, pulls or boils down to the later stages. So I think that's still late. And then secondary talking about metrics, right? Um, so I think just tracking like, like one or two or 
like the primary metrics for any any stage or any any channel right so that won't be enough i think like you should track like primary metrics secondary metric and tertiary metrics and i think tracking all these different levels of metrics and you see like you know there is any change or anomaly happening in in like on all these levels of metrics and maybe that's a good way to identify what do you think yeah yeah i have a couple um a couple of thoughts there because it's a lot to um, uh-huh. kind of talk about so uh, <laughs> yeah way, you know the way that i and teams that i work with t- typically try and approach things is we have this like north star metric of like Got um, it. Uh-huh. maybe it's like an activation metric maybe it's like um it's something that's predictable further down the funnel so like generally i'm my teams are working like higher up the funnel where we're working on more like activation or acquisition is even higher than that activation. So we have some sort of a metric that's like, if we can deliver this metric and we set the right criteria for it, um, you know, if it's like, if you consider it like a marketing qualified lead or like a, an, a product qualified lead or something like that, as long as that, that metric like is pretty predictably converts down the funnel, like that's maybe where you stop on the marketing growth side of things. It's like, okay, I am delivering this, this metric that is meaningful and predictable, that's like where you want to get to. And then like, to your point, there's a lot of like early indication metrics before that. And that's where, you know, to your, uh, you know, like you said, it's good to like map out all these different kind of like milestones within your customer journey and have a really good grasp of your customer journey. Um, because before someone activates in the product, they need to sign up for the products. And before they sign up for the product, they need to like know about your product and visit your website. So there's all these things that are definitely like happening and probably even micro micro yeah. uh, metrics that are happening in between those other things too. So you can really <laughs> yeah. drill down into this stuff and understand it. But um, I think uh, the one, one other thing I wanted to mention um, related to tracking metrics and early indicators is that um, this is something where cohort um, analysis can really, really help out. Yeah. You have your, you have your different cohorts. Maybe it's cohorts by week or day or whatever kind of like Got it. Whatever time window you want to look at. And then mm-hmm. you can see like, Oh, we did this experiment. We tried this new channel this week. Um, and we noticed that our conversion rates further down the funnel are looking great or looking really bad. Like, what did we do that week? What experiments did we run? And right, as, long right. as, as long as you're documenting what, what you're doing um, and c- can go back and look at the data, then you maybe, then you have a better point of view in terms of like, Oh, we did this and it resulted in this, you know, this output right, right. Like, more do less of this kind of thing. So, so that's, um, I don't know. I, I kind of, uh, word vomited a lot there but, but that's kind of like, <laughs> no i think uh, i think it I makes sense that. right yeah seeing seeing a cohort and like figuring out what what just attributing like what kind of things that you did in that particular week and seeing how it uh like you know boils down to the next couple of weeks uh or maybe what are three four weeks or six weeks some how much or bigger cohort that you're tracking but yeah it, it totally makes sense i mean just to track back and see what's what's going wrong and that would be a good way to identify or, you know, to spot on these, these identifiers, which are leading on to like a plateau or something like that. So yeah, talking about your, your experience at, at hitting a growth plateau, right? Like uh, we talked before and you said you hit it like a few times and uh, at, while you were at segment. So can you, can you give us more on like, you know, what, what was that and uh, what channels for that? And, and maybe we can talk later on how did you overcome it? Yeah, yes, for sure. So, um, so segment has gone through um, a various amount of growth plateaus. Um, before my time, one really interesting one that I think people kind of forget about 
is um, growing through pricing. Um, and I know uh-huh. before I joined Segment, we um, had pretty steady growth, but not like that exponential growth. And then we were able to um, work on a way to price per value. We call it uh, monthly tracked users. I think is like their MTU is like yeah the, <laughs> yeah bill on, and um, by connecting that like value with our pricing, um, that actually was something that really helped us grow. Um, and this is before my time at Segment, so I, I just want to throw that out there because like you don't need like traffic and conversion are one ways are ways to grow or increasing activation are ways to grow, but then also pricing yeah. is a pretty um, interesting um, mechanism mm-hmm. to look at for for um, for growth. Um, so I just wanted to like say that to you. And then when I was at segment, uh, we had a lot of, um, inbounds, um, leads, traffic, signups, all that kind of stuff. And, um, really I came in and, um, used a combination of paid acquisition to continue to grow that plus like optimization within the, the sales and, um, uh, people who are on the front lines, like fielding, like inbound, these inbound leads, people who are raising their hands saying they want a demo or they're Got trying mm-hmm. to out. So um, that really, uh, you know, we were, we were kind of this like growth at all costs mindset, which a lot of people were um, in like the 2018, early 2019 timeline. And then, um, uh-huh. you know, the public market started like looking at things, a bit more differently and they're like, Oh, well, you have to have efficient growth. You can't just like spend it all costs. And uh, we really had to pull back um, mm-hmm. quite a lot on our, on our paid acquisition and budget. Um, so um, that definitely flattened out the curve quite a bit. Um, but it also helped us out as a company to like be more rigorous about, you know, what we're spending on and how we're growing. Um, so we were able to pull back budget quite a bit and keep, keep the, keep the um, volume um, flat or the same, but that's still a growth plateau uh-huh. that we, uh, so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the, the thing that we turned to after that was really focusing on um, more of like an outbound motion um, or it, it, we say, I say outbound, but it was actually a bit more of like looking at these like signals that people are giving us people on our website, people, um, registering for webinars or, um, doing things in the product that are more on like the self-service side of things and like looking at these signals and, um, and sending and like providing a structure for the, to surface those signals to our sales team so that they can uh-huh. follow up. These people aren't necessarily raising hand, but they are showing some interest. And uh-huh. that is what has been, uh, at least before, just before I left has, what has been like helping to continue that growth where we're hitting some sort of plateaus. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's things, there's things that, you know, aren't always that obvious where it's like, I think people go a lot to like, Oh, I'm going to drive a lot more traffic. I'm going to double my traffic, but doubling yeah. your traffic is costly. And then a lot of times when you do that, when you pay for it, it doesn't convert down the funnel, the right, the same way. So mm-hmm. like, at, like internally at what, you know, what optimizations could be had, like, how can we enable our team that's like, our, our customer success team, our onboarding team, our sales team, how can we enable them to activate customers more easily or like do their jobs in a more efficient way? Like that goes a long way in terms of like continuing to grow the company. So, um, yeah, but so, you know, it all depends <laughs> on your actual use case, but that was kind of my totally. segment. So, yeah. Totally. And th- that's, that's really great. Uh, and I think you would have had a, 
a good good challenging the it would be like a challenging experience and it would be much more fun like you know solving for it as well uh, i i can imagine and then how did you overcome it like what are some of the like like actions that you took in like you know overcoming this plateau that you were hitting maybe on some some channels yeah i mean i think the first action to take is to to look at your data look at your look at those cohorts and be like okay well uh-huh. <laughs> um Well, this from from this metric from like a um visit to sign up metric for example, um uh, looks fine, but then from sign up to an opportunity created or to someone becoming a paying customer, um it looks like they're, you know, it drops off quite quite significantly. So, um looking at that to identify the gap and then like you know, like kind of dig drilling in a little bit there and like understanding like okay, what's actually happening? Like put yourself in the shoes of the user. and understand like what the like the intentions of what the user is doing whether they're signing up or whether they're like mm-hmm. getting stuck activating the products um and then from there you can kind of like focus on like um you know how to improve that experience how to how to move that metric the right direction so a lot of it is around like user empathy or like understanding the the frame of mind that the the users in when they're taking these actions um and then i guess like to make an example of like how we use that at segment um some of the things that we were surfacing to the team um are when someone um is in a segment workspace and they're inviting their teammates uh-huh. well they're not just uh-huh. inviting their teammates because they want to like hang out with them on segment they're inviting their teammates <laughs> because they yeah. want them to like uh maybe uh add a new destination or connect something or build audiences or, there's some some reason for that for that so totally we can reach out to that person and ask like hey why did you invite this person to your workspace is there something we can help out with um it helps uh it helps us make that customer more successful and then just by way of doing that you grow the company as well or you grow like your revenue as well so um got it yeah, it all kind of goes hand in hand i think yeah i think translating it to like you know having uh, new user acquisition versus uh, ups, upselling or expanding your existing customer base i think you know figuring what to do when you are on a plateau that i think that kind of helps uh, in a way as well um, yeah in in, yeah, in the case certain, where yeah on the on the product side um uh-huh. on the product side that's definitely another lever you can pull uh, which is yeah. you know you can grow based on usage but um it's not always so easy to grow based on usage because it's kind of dependent <laughs> on the success yeah. of your customers yeah uh, So um I mean hopefully your product is helping your customers be successful and they're growing but then also you know you can build other products that help service that customer and that tie into your core products and then sell Got them on that product as well or maybe add enterprise features that they're looking for there's lots of ways that you can grow using the product as well expansion and upsell yeah it's a great point yeah because at the end of the day for segment like if if they use the product more if they have more mtus that that means their their uh, like segment is billing them more right because it's based on uh, per mtu kind of uh, billing so yeah. yeah i think in a way that's that's uh, a great way and yeah and, and and when you earlier said like you know growth that all all cost mindset i think you had that at segment and then you stopped doing that and then you focused on to like effective growth mindset right so like why why the shift and what according to you is like not working out in the growth at all cost mindset yeah yeah so um to the 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 shift is mostly driven by um actually looking at your core like saas metrics um yeah. and this is things like you know what is your magic number what is your 
Um, it, it, a lot of people are familiar with like the customer acquisition costs at LTV or your payback period, like looking at these metrics. And, um, you know, I feel like a lot of people get, get um, look at those metrics and they're like, oh, I spent this much on, you know, this Google campaign or this Facebook ad or whatever. And it drove this much revenue, but they don't actually look deeply into all of the fully burdened costs of, um, of acquiring a new customer. Things like um, your sales team overhead, customer support, um, all these mm-hmm. types of things and, and time to like close a new deal or to get a new self-service customer on board. Like there's a lot of um, overhead that goes into that. So looking at like a fully burdened cost, we, we realized, or, you know, we weren't quite in the place where we wanted to be and wanted to tighten that up a little bit because, you know, to be prepared for like the public markets and be a public company, you know, you, you can't, uh, especially in today's day and age, you need to eventually have some earnings or a path yeah. to having earnings. Um, <laughs> yeah. you can't really, you can't really have earnings if you're spending more than your, um, you're uh, putting back into the company. So um, it's just basic yeah. like this kind of stuff that we looked into and we're like, oh, we, we should clean this up a little bit because, you know, we're confident that, like the LTV will be there, but we also want to spend in the right way. And um, yeah, I feel like a lot of things happened in that time period, like uh, the the whole WeWork debacle kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, but this company is valued a lot, but then pulled back quite a bit when they looked into the details and we just wanted to make sure we were good yeah. in that sense. Totally. I, I think that that really is a great perspective to look at all at, at this particular thing, right? Like growth at all cost mindset uh, and having a more effective growth kind of mindset where you're like having an effective growth, which kind of boils down to the revenue uh, part as well. Because at the end of the day, all metrics in the end, like revenue is the best metric uh, to have, right? Like if if, uh, if to you want a business, like, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think we have reached the course uh, for for this for this episode on on talking about like you know growth plateau and and stuff. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot to talk on, but I think it's it's very hard to put in back in all this great stuff uh, from you in like you know 25 30 minutes episode. Okay. But yeah, I mean <laughs> we can we could. Uh, I hope we did all that. But yeah, uh, have a few lightning questions uh, before we call oh, yeah. it off. Uh, yeah, these are not related to growth uh, or plat- growth plateau or something like that. It's just generic questions. Yeah. So first one. Yeah. So Kevin, what do you w- know about your work now that you wish you would have known when you first started? Uh, yeah. So a lot of this comes down to like the basic <laughs> principles of, of marketing. It's a, it, it's uh-huh. a good question. Um, you know, I feel like to really simplify marketing is really just uh to understand who your audiences are, who your audience is, uh-huh. make it singular, um, and then know what problems they have and how your offer addresses those problems. And if you can just get uh-huh. that, those two things right, like you'll be in really great shape. So um, just like those, those like first principles of marketing and like having customer em- empathy are things I wish I knew um, rather than trying to do like uh, copy, like A-B tests that aren't going to do make any difference. So yeah. <laughs> totally. And yeah, second one. So what did your biggest professional failure teach you? Biggest professional failure. Um, I think it's just, uh, just teaching you that things are going to be okay. Even if you fail, um, uh-huh. I, not to get too deep into like a story, but, um, when I, when I was at my first company, I 
accidentally emailed uh, the whole our whole entire database uh, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, outbound message, and oh. I felt awful and miserable. And you know, it ended up being just fine. People responded. We created a lot of opportunities, and like you know, even if I failed and sent a blank message or something, like everything would have been okay. So I think just <laughs> learning that like failure is okay and dealing yeah. with that. It's, it's, yeah, um, learn early. Yeah. You have to keep going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so what's what's the number one thing uh, that has helped you shorten your learning curve? Uh, so I read and listen to a lot of things and consume so much content, but um, doing that only gets you so far. Like actually getting your hands dirty and and uh uh-huh. doing things is what helps yeah. you learn the most so that's like the number one thing is like yeah you can read all the blog posts you want but unless you actually like do something you're not going to learn all that quick so i would say just get out there and do stuff <laughs> yeah yeah i think practical implementation over theoretical knowledge uh anytime right I, or uh, that's theoretical <laughs> knowledge like put it to practice like just, yeah that's one <laughs> that's really great and my last one right so I mean, like, I want to know, like, what are you going to do uh, once this whole pandemic is over? Like, what's the first thing that you want to do that you oh, had planned to, to do in, in all of this time and and you canceled on that? Uh, and, and maybe <laughs> you were like waiting for that one thing that that to do, like after this whole uh, pandemic is over. Yeah, just travel, travel in general. Like, I yeah. are gone and yeah. like, I love traveling and um exploring new cultures and especially exploring uh-huh. new cuisines um so in in art and all that kind of stuff so just i miss that a ton and i want to get go somewhere <laughs> i think every i think everyone this travel industry is gonna like boom like crazy once once this whole pandemic is over because everyone will be bored sitting at home and then suddenly this thing is over and then boom like in two three months like all the travel destinations are full and I hotels know, are booked I, and <laughs> I hope and the so. prices are soaked up. Yeah, I really, I really hope so. I think so. I'm, for me, I'm definitely going to do that once I can. So. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, thanks a lot, Kevin. This has been a very insightful conversation about like, you know, growth plateau and how to overcome one, how to spot one. And, and yeah, it's really great in, in, in like, you know, talking with you about, about this. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. I loved having conversations. <laughs> with you. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate great. it. Great.